Hey, people, what's happening? Uh, Randolph Terrence with another Woke Files. Listen, so I have a special one for you guys uh, today. I have, uh, I, if you follow me on Facebook or you've listened to us on the podcast, I have told you all to follow Marsha Warfield and be sure to keep in touch with Marsha Warfield, and she's a great follow. Well, I reached out to her through Facebook underneath the advice of uh, Chris Lamberth, and I just wrapped up an interview with her, and it is fantastic. Uh, there's a lot of great information in it for you. She's fantastic. She, If you follow her Facebook, she's exactly like her Facebook. She is exactly like her Facebook. So I would suggest you just sit back, carve out about an hour and a half, and listen to us talk. And I hope you guys enjoy it and send me any kind of feedback you want. I appreciate you guys. And here we go. Enjoy. Hello. Hello. Hi, this is Marshall Hello, ma'am. How are you feeling today? Hello? I, I'm not really hearing you. Um, Can you hear me okay? Yeah, you kind of... Uh, let, me, let me play with the levels. Low volume, but... Let me, let me play with the levels. I don't know what that... I'm going to try to get you as good as I can. Okay, so I can talk a little loud. Is that okay? All right. We're, I think I can hear you. Can you hear me? Okay. All right. Let me see. Maybe I can. Maybe I can bring it up a little bit more. By the way, man, my name is Randolph Terrence, and I really appreciate you doing this. I know we just kind of know each other. Okay. I think your but your your uh, caller ID came up. Randy. Is that how you know? Yeah, that's my mother calls me. Now my mother, and my wife. <laughs> oh, okay. But when I got into stand up, well, I'll call you Randolph. <laughs> <laughs> when I got into uh, you, Miss Marsha, can call me anything you want. You know, that's that that's that Southern black thing. You get the respect of the elder, so you can call me anything you want. <laughs> it's quite no. all right. Uh, when I got when I started doing stand up, I I just kind of went with Randolph Terrence because people can't say my last name. So Randolph's my first name, and Terrence is my middle name. Ah, so I just went that way. How are you? How have you been? I'm I'm fairly midland. I'm doing all right. And yourself? I'm I'm about the same. <laughs> I think about I think about the same. I think about the same. I was very pleased. I can't even remember when I discovered you on Facebook. Um, and I was like, wow, Marsha Warfield's on Facebook? And then I started following you. And just everything that you cover on Facebook, everything that you talk about, I've, I've highly recommended you to people uh, through our podcast to to follow you and to engage with you because you really engage with people via Facebook in a way that I don't really see a lot of other people doing who are uh, at the level you're at. Where did all that start for you? Uh, well, you know, I wasn't doing stand-up for a long long time. I was on Facebook uh, when I wasn't really working. Uh, and so it was just a way to en- engage an audience uh, mm-hmm. without performing. So yeah, yeah it got to be uh, a thing. Yeah, do- so it just happened. Do you mind the um, the vitriol that comes with it sometimes? The arguments that come with it. The uh, you handle it a much you handle it far better than I would. Let me just say it like that. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I have a theory. Well, I have a lot of theories. I have, I'm that's uh, part of the business, the uh, stand-up comedy business. Opinions are required. So, mm-hmm. uh, but I have a theory that. 
uh, 99% of what's wrong with the world is people want to be heard. Uh-huh. Um, and uh, for until like right now, uh, people uh, now have a chance to be heard. So uh, that that new kind of freedom uh, makes people shout when they don't really have to. And so I think uh, with the with the frontier, it's kind of like frontier, like the, the uh, social media. You know, there aren't a lot of uh, uh, watchdogs and moderators and stuff. And so nobody says, hey, 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 slow down. Wait a minute. Okay, you got a point. But let's talk, you know, uh, uh, cuss folks out who ain't done nothing to you. So, uh, no, I don't really mind unless it's just mean-spirited, nasty, and some people just want to be the jerks. Right. I, I, I find that to be the the best part of social media is that interactions like this can happen that were brought about strictly because of social media. And then the worst part of social media is the other interactions that can be brought about strictly because of social media. So it's very much. Well, I don't think that's natural. And I, I, I thought there was something wrong with the whole uh, election. Well, I've been watching it for a while, the Uh social media interactions at elections, but uh, this year or then 16, it was obvious to me that there was more going on than just spirited debate. Right, uh, right. That they were uh, instigative, instigative right. forces uh, uh, just stirring things up. Right. Somebody and figured so, out how to. Somebody figured out how to weaponize it. Yeah, and it was obvious. If you have been on, as I had been, and uh, as much as I am that it's not normal. Most people are not, like I said, most people just want to be heard. Right. They just, I got something to say too. And, and so if they can get a word in it, get people to just shut up a minute and listen, they're, they're pretty fine, you know, to just uh, put their point of view out there. Right. Uh, but there were way too many people who were just uh, calling people names and, and being uh, really, really nasty. Right. for it to be normal. Yeah, I just, I get rid of them. That's my, that's my plan. I will block somebody in a second. I don't have, <laughs> I don't have a problem with that at all. Where are well, you? Well, I have a pretty long block list too, but yeah. you gotta be, uh, you gotta be really, <laughs> you gotta get on my nerves at the wrong time is pretty much what it is. <laughs> well, I, <laughs> I think that's, I think that's it for everything, for everybody. It's that wrong time. You catch me at the wrong time. Ooh. <laughs> yeah, today was not today. Yeah, you're gone. So originally you're from... You know, I tend, I, I tend that to my Twitter page uh, that uh, I put a tweet out to today is not the day for bullshit. Yeah. Try well. me tomorrow. <laughs> well, try me next week. You're originally from the south side of Chicago? Yes. Yeah, did you grow up anywhere near Michelle Obama? Y'all was schoolmates or anything like that? <laughs> well, Michelle Obama's a... Uh, at least 10 years younger than me. So, oh, yeah, there uh, you go. <laughs> uh, you know, I, I would not have known her unless I was a babysitter, and I didn't babysit. <laughs> so, um, uh, no, I mean, I, the South Side's pretty expansive. Yes. Uh, so, you know, it was 
the hood, but it wasn't necessarily my hood. <laughs> it was a few blocks over. In fact, in Chicago, you know, you can go a few blocks either way and be totally out your neighborhood. So Okay. What was your experience like growing up there on the South Side? How did your family end up there, first of all? Were they part of a, a were they part of the second girl migration or anything like that? Or did they come from well, the Well, wasn't everybody? I mean, I would that's th- pretty much the joke. I would think so. In Chicago, so. they was the joke. You know, it's like, uh, where are you from? And somebody say 79th Street, and they go, yeah, but, but before that. Yeah, but where? Where were your people from before that? My parents left uh, uh, Mississippi, as far as I know, and ended up in uh, payroll, Illinois. Okay. And so my grandfather met in Cairo, Illinois, and then moved to Chicago. Okay. And it had to be like the early 1900s. Right, right. What were you? I don't know exactly when, and I don't know exactly how the Depression uh, impacted them, but when I look back, you know, it's pretty clear that uh, in family lines, something really happened you know, in the 1920s, because I, I asked my mother, I'm like, well, what happened in the 1920s where there's this cap? She said the depression fool, because that's what she felt. What was your experiences like growing up there on the South Side? Well, like I talk about, I grew up uh, with the Civil Rights Movement. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, Oprah Winfrey and I are the same age. Right. She's a couple of months older, and so we were born in the year of Brown versus the Board of Education, right. which means we grew up almost pretty much exactly with the Civil Rights Movement. So there was that. But it was what I knew. So um, it's hard for me to say, you know, and it's hard for me to understand people when they go, well, it was uh, this and that at the time. At the time, you didn't know that. At the time, it was just growing up. Okay. You know what I mean? Right, <laughs> right. That's what it was. There was a Vietnam War. There was uh, there were uh, protests. There was the hippie movement. There was all that kind of stuff going on. But that's just the way it was. Mm. Did you have? There was also Motown. There was also Sly and the Family Stone. You know what I mean? Yes, yes. Did you had you always had an interest in show business, or were you going to college and planning on a professional life of some sort and just staying in Chicago? No, I, I was I fell in love with uh, show business, even performer. Uh, when I was about eight years old, I was uh, already uh, diehard committed Smokey Robinson fan. Okay, uh, <laughs> um, to the point of you know, like there was no Smokey mania, but if there had been, I would have been, you know, like the leader of my chapter in my neighborhood. <laughs> at, eight, <laughs> at eight years old, you'd have been out there. <laughs> yes, I love Smokey Robinson and, and the Miracles. And so I had begged my mother to take me to see uh, him at the Regal Theater. Mm-hmm. And so they were there one January, December, or whatever, and we stood in line. You, have to, you had to stand, stand in line until you got in. So lines would wrap all the way around the block and back again and stuff. And so we waited through three shows. They did four, three, four, five shows a day back then. Yes. And so we stood in line in the cold uh, through three shows. And and, and my mother was uh, trying to bribe me 
you know, out of not going to see the show finally by the time we got to the fourth one. She's like, Aren't you cold? Let's go get some hot chocolate. <laughs> <laughs> she could bribe uh, me and my sister with, you know, going to sit at a counter and eating something, you know, but I wasn't having it. We we're going to wait and see the show. And we finally got in. And I have to, I sat there and I had no idea what to expect, but. When the when they started warming up the band and the lights started, you know, uh, uh, coming on stage and and you could see the feet moving, you know, we were up in the balcony and you could see the feet moving under the curtains and stuff. I've I've never been so excited in my life, and uh, seeing that show, it was a Motown review, and okay. seeing that show and. and uh, Watching all the performers come out and uh, and just the experience of being in the audience was transformative. It was just that was stupid from then. And then as an, uh, an older person, like eighteen, right, uh, nineteen, I got married and then divorced, and then I went to uh, work at the phone company, <laughs> and I was and. Uh, Operator and long distance, because that's, that's how long ago it was. You had to have a, an operator to dial long distance. Okay. Yes. And uh, I did that. And uh, one day there was a thing in the paper about a comedy night uh, at the Pickle Barrel in Chicago that was run by Tom Treacy. Mm hmm. And they said it was an open mic and you could come in and try out stuff. Did, you have, did friend, you have anything at all? Had you ever even had any thoughts mm -hmm. of stand-up up to that point? I was always a big fan of stand-up. You know, I grew up in the variety era. Right. There was a variety show era. And there was always so a stand-up comic on a variety a, show. Always, at least two, usually, in an hour show. You had two stand-up comics and... Uh, some novelty acts, you know, funny acts, and then there were clowns and all that kind of stuff. And I was always uh, uh, attracted to the uh, the stand-up performers. I knew pretty much all of them uh, by name as a little girl. Uh, but I didn't know that these were things that normal people could do. You know, I was uh, the magic of television hadn't really been... Uh, broken down to its science, you know, in my mind. So it was still a magic thing. And uh, so how to get into it or do anything or what the mechanics were or anything about it. And, uh, so I told a friend I was going to go down there and see what it was. She uh, listened to me say that for a couple of months and then finally put me in a car and took me down. <laughs> Introduced me to Tom Jesus and... Uh, I went on about two thirty that morning. <laughs> in front of how many people? Eight. Uh, there were, I think, ten, and eight of them were comedians. <laughs> <laughs> I think I have played that gig. <laughs> I'm pretty yeah. pretty sure I played that yeah. gig too early on. How did you feel the first time being up there? Did you feel the the moment of the this is it, or did you feel like, well, that went okay, or? Well, you know, I was nervous you know yes oh, yeah and i, I had uh, i had here again i had no idea how to write an act how to you know do anything and, and i didn't know anything about it but i 
put together what I thought would work. And um, Tom Gleason had kept uh, had been introducing, you know, a teasing that there were new people coming up and there's a young girl coming up and it's her first night. She's a virgin. And so they, you know, called all the new comics virgins. And uh, so I went on stage and said, my name is Marshall Warfield and I'm a virgin. Perfect. So please be kind. And perfect. went from there. That's and perfect, uh, uh, gave their approval. Right. Was he, did he become instrumental in, in, in guiding you along the way? Or was there an older comic who kind of took you under the wing or did you just start kind of just going and watching, going and watching? Tom was a a friend and mentor from, from the very beginning. In fact, most of the comedians who uh, were there that night, there was a comedy team of uh, Bohannon and Sanders and uh, uh, Brad Sanders, uh, uh, went on to DUC, worked with Tom Joyner mm-hmm. and his uh, show. He was, uh, he produced the, um, on the phone with Tyrone and uh, uh, It's Your World. Uh, yes, I remember, so sure. I remember It's Your World. Show yeah. Yes, I remember and, It's Your World. Uh, and uh, uh, James Wesley Jackson and you know, all of the comedians that were there that night uh, kind of became like the protective brotherhood, uh, uh, you know, and uh, helped me a lot. Mm-hmm. And uh, a lot of them were still friends. And so, uh, yeah, Tom and I, I, I consider him a friend. And uh, he, used to, he used to drive me home to this house. Uh, and another another guy, uh Dr. Bill Miller, mm-hmm. who was in med school at that time, okay. uh, but uh, was wanted to do stand-up. So he did both, and he, you know, aced them both, became a doctor and a comedian. Uh, but uh, these were uh, two white comedians mm-hmm. who would drive me to the heart of the South Side uh, every night to make sure I got home. Yeah, I know, okay. I know Tom has a great background of working with black comedians and being on the black circuit because of his work with Tim Reed. Did you uh, get a chance to get to know Tim Reed before during this time or was Tim already out in uh, Hollywood? Tim had left uh, to go to uh, uh, Los Angeles mm-hmm. when I started. They, okay. they had just broken up and uh, as far as I know maybe a few months you know prior. Okay. And so I didn't meet Tim until I got to Los Angeles. I only know them through their through their book Tim and Tom, but that's a fantastic book. It was a fantastic, fantastic story of the two of them. Now, Tom's a good guy. They're both, you know, good men, good friends, and uh, they were all very helpful to me, and uh, and I appreciate it and love them all to this day. It seems like Chicago had a very powerful stand-up scene between some of the comics that came out of there: uh, Tom, Tim, you, Bernie Mac. You know, all these powerful comedians have come out of Chicago. Do you think that there's a reason for that? Or particularly powerful black comedians and comedians that I like to call black adjacent, like Tim. <laughs> Do you think... <laughs> like Tim or Tom? Tom, like, excuse me. I think Tom, excuse yeah, me, like Tom. Tom is, you know, is, in, the, is in the club, but <laughs> yeah. I mean, Tom, Tom is uh, Tom is just... Uh, Tom. Tom's an easy man to know, you know. He's, he's, he's right. the easy to know. Uh, but Chicago, 
I think a lot of people don't re- don't really understand or really know is uh, are you you not from there? Are you? I'm sorry, say again, Mayor. Are you from Chicago? No, ma'am. I'm originally from San Antonio, Texas, and now I live in DC. Oh, okay. That's a that's a long way from Chicago. Right, but, a long yeah. way. <laughs> <laughs> but in the in the '60s, um, there was a DJ named Curb Kent. Yes. And Herb Kent was the cool gent, and he called himself the, uh, he was like the black oldest teenager, and he would have uh, the parties for teenagers uh, all every Friday night. And I mean, he was, uh, he was our go-to DJ, the, you know, Frankie Crocker of Chicago. Okay. He was the guy, and he used to have, a comedy troupe on his radio show. Uh, one of the first ones to actually have that, and they were the electric crazy people. And a lot of them were stand-ups, uh, Emmanuel Arrington and uh, and uh, Orlando Ray's uh, uh, sketches on the radio. And a lot of people were pretty much influenced by them. Okay. Uh, and uh, black comedy... Uh, they set a standard in Chicago that uh, people aren't always aware of. And then there were the George Kirby's and and other people who, uh, and uh, uh, for a while, uh, Dick Gregory had a, a base in Chicago. Mm-hmm. Uh, so uh, there was a comedy tradition there. But comedy exploded for just about everybody in the early 70s. Okay. And and uh, really became solidified and uh, and that's when uh i think the basis of that comedy scene really took off was in like 1974 75 how long did you stay in that scene before you moved to los angeles and what was the impetus for you to move to los angeles uh i left chicago in I started in 1974. I left in 1976. Oh, only two uh, years. Wow. So you were working steadily during that two years, just developing your chops, developing your chops, and then decided just to go out to L.A.? Well, I didn't see um, anywhere to go, you know, in Chicago. Okay. Uh, it, it was... And you have to understand, in the early 70s, was a really pivotal time, black people, period, but black people in entertainment especially, uh, things exploded mm-hmm. with, uh, with the black power movement and uh, black exploitation and uh, television shows like Soul and Soul Train and uh, things like that that were happening that had never happened before, even, even like Sesame Street. Right. Uh, the Black Power movement. Right. Right. Uh, so uh, it was it was a time where where things were happening, but they were happening in L.A. Pretty much, the black exploitation movies were happening there. The TV shows, the Sanford and Sons, and uh, uh, Good Times were all being done in L.A. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Soul Train had moved to. It was just. Uh, that would seem like the natural thing to do. Uh, 
Were you uh, were you advised light. were you advised by anybody or you were just like I, you know what I think I should move to LA? No, I, I there was no I didn't have that kind of uh, I pretty much said nope I'm going to LA. How old were you? And How at that you time then? too, I was twenty two. So a twenty two year old woman just picked up and went. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> you had to. It was the disco era. Well, the disco era was coming. Yeah. Uh, but it was the it was the free love area era. They had started, you know, saying you could show porn downtown, and yes. you know, I mean, it was the it was a, a studio. Fifty four had happened, but there was uh, there were other uh, kinds of you know things happening. Mm-hmm. Uh, the the Woodstocks and the Haight Ashberries and the you know kind of uh, time period and so there were people who would hitchhike around across the country. Okay. You people were um, were uh, carpooling mm-hmm. across the country. You could uh, put uh, take out ads or answer ads for a driver. Where somebody, I'm going to Los Angeles, want a ride, and you could go. And uh, so there were a lot of people doing a lot of stuff like that. Okay. And my mindset said, well, if they can go, I can go. And I'm going to it. So I told my mother, I was going to hitchhike to Los Angeles. And she said, oh, no, you're not. She said, no, you're not. And I told her I was growing. And she told me she was my mother. And so, (laughs) birthday, she gave me. A trip to Los Angeles. Okay. She put you and on the I bus? She put you on the bus? Huh? She put you on the bus? No, I, I got to fly. Oh, wow. <laughs> My mom would have threw me right on the bus. You can go, but you're going on no, the bus. No, she wasn't having me travel across the country on the bus. <laughs> That's no, fair. she, she, she uh, they scraped up uh, the money. for it And uh, gave me, my mother gave me a ticket to Los Angeles, uh, uh, you know, it was a package yeah. and a hotel for, I don't know, a week and $150 said happy birthday and cried at the airport and I left. She knew you weren't and, coming. She uh, knew she cried because she knew you weren't coming back. Yeah, I knew. She, yeah, we, she, we all knew. But, yeah, she knew you weren't coming back. But, well, I, she, but back then, a return ticket was good. Yeah. Okay. You could use it. They did, you know, there were no fees and all that kind of stuff. So, it was a security blanket, yeah. uh, so I I could have the trip, and if I needed it, yeah. So you always had that I return ticket in your back pocket. <laughs> that right. I can get back home. Was she always supportive? Were they always supportive of you, of of the life of the of the? This girl's trying show business. What? There was never any of that. There was just I'm going to support this and help her along her way. Well, I was determined, and she was, yes, very supportive of me, even though she was, uh, uh, you know, nervous and and concerned. But uh, years later, she told me uh, how proud she had been that I had the good to set goals and then you know, try to make them come true. So I can tell you as a a father, if my daughter told me something like that, I'd be more than proud of her to, to you're going to go out here and try and do this on your own. Great. Fantastic. Here's your return plane ticket, just in case. (laughs) Yeah. We talked, we used to talk all the time, you know, because it wasn't always easy. And we talked on the phone. Uh, Then she, 
of the show. Uh, we could talk a little more than most people could. Okay. Uh, and so, yeah, we, we would talk about it. And uh, she was always, you know, well, you can always come home and I would be okay. But, um, you know, I ain't coming. So (laughs) (laughs) she knew you weren't coming. (laughs) But I had been working in town um, before I left. I found that there was here again. It's hard to explain the time. Uh, But at that time, uh, there were people trying to bring upscale entertainment to the South side. Uh Uh-huh. And so the group of uh, men, businessmen in the neighborhood had opened a supper club okay. on the far south side. Uh, and we're trying to make it work. And they had a 16-piece band. And it was upscale. And I had one uh, cocktail dress that I think I had bought for some party or something. Anyway. But I had a, a cocktail dress, and I went in and told them they needed a house come, and that I would do it. And they said okay, and they would pay me a hundred dollars a week. Just and like that. And I did that. For, yeah, I did that for a few months, which made me kind of you know special on the circuit, on the comedy scene, because uh, I had my own room, and that was everybody's goal to yeah, get a, yeah. their own room. And so, and by but the way. I had work. As a lesson to any young comedian, as a lesson to any young comedian listening, just go ask. <laughs> just. Yeah, <laughs> they can't do nothing to say no. Yeah. And so, though there were five uh, different owners, and they said, "Do you want to get paid by uh, weekly or nightly?" And I said, "Pay me nightly." So what I would do is I would go to different owners and uh, just stand next to them, and they go, "Do you get paid?" I said, "No," and they give me twenty dollars. <laughs> 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 How long were you able to pull that off? Huh? How long were you able to pull that off? All the way. Because, you know, here again, back then, the way men treated women, and I was a young girl, and they were protective, as well as trying to be exploitive, and I would, you know. Exactly. Tell them, no, no pops, ain't, ain't no happening. But, <laughs> you know, to them, it was just $20. Yeah. So they would just reach in their pocket and give me $20. It was no big deal. <laughs> That's fantastic. <laughs> That's fantastic. What was the transition like from Chicago to Los Angeles for you? Was it a smooth transition, a rough transition? How'd you find your um, comedy spots? It was it was a little of both. Well, the hotel that because we had researched the whole thing. Now okay. you know the hotel yeah. that I stayed at was the Continental Hyde House that was right next door to the comedy store. Uh-huh. In fact, uh, if you read the book, I'm dying up here. That's the hotel that uh, Steve Lebeck took his life from. Is that that? Is that uh, the, that one? Okay. Yeah, but it was right next door. I mean. Okay. So the, as soon as I got there, I just waited for the comedy store to open uh, so I could go in. And I walked in and I said, told them I was a comedian. And uh, they went and got the doorman, who was John Witherspoon. <laughs> oh, I love, and I love John, this. John would uh, 
Hey, baby, uh, where are you from? I said, Chicago. Yeah, I'm from Detroit. Come on in. And he took me and he said, this is where the comics sit. And uh, you could just sit here and uh, I'll introduce you to people as they come in. And he would, if he was around, or I'd introduce myself to him. And so I got to meet, uh, uh, who was there that night? Leno, uh, Letterman, uh, Byron Allen, uh, yeah, he must have been like know, 10, Byron, Byron Allen. He must have been like 10, 12 years old. <laughs> yes, he was. He would sneak in. Yeah. He was or he would hang around the back because his mother was uh, right. in the business. Yeah. And so she might be there. Right. And he would be around. Uh, I met Rain Pryor, and she was about six during that time. Uh, when the first time I met her with her parents. Uh, so... Um, but that night, uh, I can't remember everybody who came in, but the, all the comics who were working at that time came in and around, uh, for the second show, uh, Spoon came back with this man and said, uh, Hey, I want you to meet somebody. This is Paul Mooney. Okay. <laughs> and I said, hello. He said, Mr. Paul Mooney. <laughs> yes, sir. And he shook his hand, and so I mean, I, I met folks that night, and I would just sit in the club and uh, uh, just watch the comedians until that Monday night came. I think it was a Saturday night I got there. Till that Monday night came, I signed up and went on uh, and did the the open mic, and uh, that's how I got on at the comedy store. So that was at the store. Okay. Where did your, uh, before we do a quick transition, I I think the first time I became aware of you doing stand-up was, I don't remember the, sh- the show that you were on, but I remember it was on HBO, Magic Johnson was in the audience, and you did the joke where you said, I just want to climb Magic, interview him now. <laughs> okay. Right. And I remember, I wasn't even th- at that time thinking about doing stand-up, but I remember I always liked that style of stand-up comedy. Just relaxed, like you're in a club, having a drink. So even now when I perform, I still kind of carry that because that's what I like. That's what I like to watch and that's what I think people should see. Where did that style develop for you? Did that develop in Chicago and you took it to L.A. or did you just kind of work it out in L.A.? Well, you know, the style, uh, yeah, a lot of it came from Chicago. And Chicago had a uh, uh, supper club tradition, you know, the Mr. Kelly's, the uh, kind of Rush Street, not Rush Street, Well Street uh, tradition of, uh, of, you know, the supper club performers. Like I mentioned, George Kirby, and there were, right. you know, Nan- Nancy Wilson and Lou Rawls and, uh, Sinatra and all those people would play these and Tony Bennett, you know, that kind of era. And we were also coming from the era where that, those kinds of uh, acts and for comedians, your goal was to be an opening act for some big name entertainer. If I could have been, you know, Lou Rawls opening act, boom, that would have been, you know, uh, crazy. That's what people were working for and people dressed up and it was the playboy circuit mentality that was pretty much the standard. And then in the early 70s, it all transitioned 
when the Tonight Show moved to Los Angeles and it became much more relaxed and the stand-up style became much more relaxed, the Saturday Night Live kind of uh, style of, of more freewheeling stand-up from the comedy store and stuff. It was a little of both, you know. There were gigs you played, you know, in jeans and sneakers, and there were gigs you played in, you know, decent clothes and yeah. stuff. So, yeah, that's, that's um, how it is today. I, I don't know. I think it's gotten a lot more, a lot less. I get, a, I get flack sometimes from people for uh, being a drinking hand. Uh, yeah, I wear tuxedos and stuff now. Yeah. You know, stuff just like yours. They assume you're stuffy. Yeah. I don't know why, but well, uh, I, have, it's I, have a whole got, I have gotten that that part too. The where they assume you're stuffy because you dress nicely on stage. I'm not doing air quotes. Nicely on stage, that you're not as relaxed as a kid in a t-shirt and a hat and a baseball hat. You know, but yeah, well, for me personally, yeah, look, I'm I'm almost style, I'm yeah. almost fifty, so this is I like to dress like this. That's the way I look at it. <laughs> And I'm comfortable dressed like this. So this is what's going to be. Well, I had to figure that out, too, in the comeback, you know, where I want to be. And here again, there are times when I don't feel like wearing the, you know, tux, and there are times when I do. Yeah, myself, so, myself uh, too, yeah. It's a, it's an option. But if I was working a, a concert kind of show, I would dress up, have a drink and a stool, and, um, and that's the way I would do the show. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the smaller venues, you know, you have a little more leeway and I, I probably wouldn't always go that way, even though the stool and the mic and the, you know, <laughs> stage, whatever right. size is pretty much all you ever need. Right. Now, this is going to sound like but an... I, go ahead, man. But that was uh, the way I was raised. You know, you dress up to go to work. Yeah, I, I agree with that. That's how I was raised. That's how it is. You, 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 know, you got to dress for the job you want. How many times you hear that one <laughs> growing up? Um, well, even even when I would go, when I, you know, I, I was checking groceries at a grocery store. Mm-hmm. and oh, I did, uh, I did that then, job. <laughs> I did that job. <laughs> even then, my mother said, you go for a job interview, you dress up. Yeah, put on that tie. You don't go for a job in- interview no matter what it's for. Mm-hmm. If it's for a janitor, put on a, some, for a girl, it was stockings and heels. Yeah. yeah. I'm wondering if that's yeah. a black, I'm wondering if that's a black thing. Cause I, I got that also. And I know my brother got it too, that whatever job interview you go for, you, you all the way, dress all the way up. <laughs> you know, you got to go all the way. I don't know if it's a black thing. I know black parents did that, but yeah. I think, you know, who were, uh, who understood how, an impression, you know. Yeah, make it uh, And if you think about it, even to this day, if you were hiring somebody and and you got a bunch of kids showing up in you know jeans on their butts and all that, and then yeah. here's another kid looking a little. Even if he looks uncomfortable <laughs> in yeah. his dress clothes, it's still well. This kid's trying. Yeah, yeah. That's he the thing. It's like pay you, a little more attention. You're trying. Let me let me see what you got. You're you're trying. <laughs> Yeah, let me let me see what you got. Even if it was to tell him, son, un- take the towel. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it's not tied. It's not tied right anyway. Take take that off. 
just take it up. You know that, but I appreciate you you put it up. Yeah, you tried. Um, how did you? This is gonna sound like an odd question, but when you were at the comedy store at that time, you were working with with the Titans as well as yourself being part of them. You know, you work with the Titans, you're working with Pryor and Mooney, you know, and with all the Titans. Did you know, I just want to say this sounds like an odd question, but did you have a know or have any type of feeling at that time of like, I'm in the right place at the right time and these are definitely the right people around me? Um, That's a... That's a really, I don't know, strange question. But just to get back to the Uptown Comedy Express. It's the usual question. I'll get back to that. But to the Uptown Comedy Express with Randy Johnson. Yeah, And uh, that show was uh, uh, Robert Townsend, uh, Chris Rock, who was brand new. Uh Uh, Dang, who else was on that show? A very soulful, and there was one more. I think it was worse. Anyway, the Eddie Murphy produced it, mm-hmm. uh, and Uncle Ray was the host. Yeah, Uncle Ray was the and, MC. <laughs> I remember, right? I remember and, that. Because yeah. that was another joke I did. I said, you know, Eddie Murphy produced this show, but you got to be real famous to get your uncle <laughs> in show business. <laughs> you like, hi, my uncle. Oh, I ain't coming. I mean, <laughs> so, uh, uh, that show was at the uh, comedy. I mean, at the what's the name of that theater? I can't say a theater in Los Angeles. It was uh, founded and built by Nick Stewart and his wife. Nick Stewart played lightning on uh, on uh, Amos and Andy. Okay, and he built a theater to for black performers to have a place to do legitimate plays. Mm-hmm. So a lot of people came through this dang, and Ebony Showcase Theater. Thank okay. you. The Ebony Showcase Theater. And a lot of people came through that uh, theater and he was he was uh, about to lose it. So Eddie brought the show in, gave the money to Dick Stewart so they could stay in business and they did for another 10, 15 years until the city took them took the theater from it. Yeah, I remember uh, watching from the estate. I remember watching it. Uh, that show was great. Show. So it was, uh, it was historic and it was, uh, it, it's a little piece of the show that doesn't always get uh, mentioned. Uh, uh, and when people say uh, black people don't come together, it's that they really don't have a full picture of exactly all the things that people do uh-huh. to uh to make the the this work, and that was just one example. Uh, and uh, well, that's a lot of examples. That spans from the fifties with the Avenue Showcase Theater and what Nick Stewart and his wife did building the theater with their own sweat, blood, sweat, and tears. Right. And uh, all the people that came through there and. Uh, and got to showcase their their talents where they wouldn't have had uh, the opportunity other places, and then had another young crop twenty years later of of in it further and done better who come back and help 
ensure that the legacy continues. So, uh, and that happens more than people know. I think that's great. I, and I agree with that. And I think that's great. I'm, and I'm glad you said that. How did the Richard Pryor show uh, begin for all of you? Because all of you were on it. How did how did that come uh, that was, for the four episodes? That was Paul Mooney. Oh, that was all Mooney. That was, well, Richard would come to the show. And, I mean, come to the comedy store. And we all had met him. But knew him uh, would have been puffery on our part, you know. Yeah. I know Richard Pride. No, you don't. You, <laughs> <laughs> you don't know you from Adam. But, uh, but uh, he would come to the store and, you know, take our spots and that was just part of the, the game. And you guys would uh, sit in the back and watch Mad? No, we wouldn't be mad. It was Richard. <laughs> That's you great. Know, you get to watch him with the prior. And, yeah. and uh, he might even speak to you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was like that. But Mooney was, even though he was Mr. Paul Booney, and we were just, you know, titleless. But um, uh, he was the one of the writer-producers and talent coordinators on the show. Okay. Uh, I don't know if that was his official title, but uh, when the show got picked up after the pilot, um, Mooney said, you know, they're going to pick up the show. I want you to be a dime ensemble. You know, you come in and do a sketch, you know. You can do, do it as well. And he basically in a lot of ways, had to convince us that we could do it, you know. Yeah, had, you ever, had you ever even acted before leading up to that? No. No, not at no. all, yeah. Had you no. ever written like that? Did you guys help in the writing of the sketches and all that? No, no, I didn't write. I don't know where that came from, but I, you know, and I tried to tell people I did not write on the show. Okay. But they keep saying that I did write on the show, so I stopped you know, saying that, okay, I wrote on the show. But <laughs> if I did, they owe me some money. Cause yeah, didn't yeah. <laughs> you didn't get that right. And I'm still right. not in that. You, yeah. I don't think that I wrote on that show. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but uh, when they did the first one, they needed people to do sketches. So, uh, you know, said, you know, you come in, you do this sketch, and you do this, and we did. Uh, and then, when the second one came along, none of us expected to be called back. Uh, and we were. And he said, they said, why, you know, uh, cast person, why don't we just have an ensemble and we'll work with these people and they're doing fine. And that's the way it went. And so we got uh, an ensemble that we didn't know we were going to be. Y'all don't even know you're an ensemble. I tell people now to watch that on YouTube. I I love the uh, the Black President one where you get the Jet Magazine. You get and he throws you a salute. <laughs> I, I tell people all the time, you got to watch Richard Pryor. There's only four shows, unfortunately, but they're still out there. They're, yeah, well, that voice came from um, from the church ladies. I used to always like to listen to the church ladies. Uh, give the announcements. Right. Ah, uh, yeah. Because they always spoke in a very clipped, uh, northernized, southern uh, accent, and it was very pronounced. And so when I he said, called my name, I said, Roberta Davies. 
Jet magazine, magazine. because <laughs> that's how the cadence they all spoke with. And he gave us a loop, and uh, none of that we we really rehearsed. None of that was rehearsed. Well, the audience broke up because that's you know, he popped that sl- <laughs> still makes me laugh. <laughs> so, after that show ended, had you did you just return back to stand up, or had you been caught? by the acting bug at that point and said, okay, let me, let me go ahead and, and uh, try acting and, and see what can happen with that. I did not consider myself an actress. Okay. I, I was a, I'm a stand-up comedian. That's, if you ask me today, what do I do? I do stand-up. Mm-hmm. Um, what, and, and some really insignificant very uh, minor sketch work on on uh, shows like Alan King used to have uh, a show or have specials a series of specials and I think I did a couple of those where one I was a background actress and one they let me uh, push a button or something from there <laughs> and uh, end up on done like the uh, Merv Griffin show and the Jim Neighbor show and there were some comedy stand-up shows, the, uh, the Norm Crosby comedy shop. And uh, I don't know if I did make me laugh because I might have done it, but I don't remember. Anyway, I had done Soul Train. I had done stand-up on Soul Train. Okay. Uh, and uh, so I, I had been on television, but... Uh, and then, uh, so being on the prior show, I had no expectation that I was going to then go on to greatness, but uh, I did get another gig out of that. There was a show called That Thing on ABC. Okay. And it was, uh, it ended up being two shows, but uh, uh, it was an ensemble comedy show. And two of the ensemble members, one was Shelley Long and one was. And both brand new. Shelly was out of Chicago and Mandy out of New York, but there were a few others of it. And I, I got to do that. And because I don't know rules, when I got that gig, it was a ABC show and uh, I didn't have an agent. So I called ICM. <laughs> I have an offer. I don't have an agent. Could you recommend somebody and they said hold on and gave me the guy who had just gotten out of the mail room but it didn't matter because I had ICM as my agent. Again, again another lesson to comedians that's twice now in, the, in talking to you that you've done that. You just said oh, well I guess I'll just go ask. <laughs> <laughs> well I figured I needed an agent and why not call the only agent I knew I mean I knew William Morris I knew ICM because it was the hottest agent I knew, the agency I knew of at the time. Yeah. So did they? They started kind of sending you around after that. They after they said, "Sure, we'll take you on." <laughs> and then they did take me on. I did get an agent. He did try to get me work, but uh, not long after that, he got ill. Oh, okay. And he was one of the first people to succumb to uh, HIV AIDS. Okay. All right. Yeah, that was yeah, early. Yeah, that was early, and they probably didn't even yeah, know 
why he was sick at that time. No, he didn't. And that's what he told me. He said, I got this cold. I can't shake. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, but, uh, that was my, uh, my first agent. And then, and I think I stayed with Randy. Okay. Uh, and was assigned another agent, but, uh, uh, that's the time it was. You know what I mean? It was a, it was a, an interesting. And then I had won the '79 uh, San Francisco stand-up comedy competition. Oh, you, did you win and that? And that year, hmm? did you win that? Yes. Okay. And that year they did a national stand-up comedy contest in San Francisco, and I won that too. You won that too. Okay. So that by that time I didn't have it. Oh, wait a minute. I didn't have an agent after that. Something happened anyway. I ended up uh, getting an agent that night. Yeah, well, obviously, somebody had to yeah. <laughs> had to come at yeah. you at that point. How and that was Fred Ansel. How did you make the shift into movies? Because you shifted at some movies point. Movies was an accident. Um, I'm I'm trying to believe. And, and again, for someone who who did you ever take acting classes or anything like that, or just kind of just wing it? Not until I got ninth court. I okay. took one class. I took two classes. Okay, so when uh, when you did DC Cab, just just as an example, was that before night court? Yes. So you still hadn't taken any acting classes through DC Cab, right? Wow. Again, a co- comedians in there, that, you, Bill Maher, other comedians. Well, before that, I had done, I think it was before that, I had done the Marva Collins story. Okay. That was a TV movie. Okay. With Cicely Tyson. That's a, yeah, that was a drama, right? Yes. So you had already, again, no acting classes. <laughs> you're, in a, you're in a drama <laughs> coming from the world of comedy. No acting classes. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> well, I just, that was because I just happened to be in Chicago. Okay. And they were filming in Chicago. And I got the call to go to this cattle call in Chicago. And I did. And I read for the part and I got it. Hmm. <laughs> well, <laughs> and you got the film and you can now you have a movie on your resume with Cicely Tyson. <laughs> right. Uh, and but I had been fortunate like that too. I mean, I uh I had also opened for the OJs and uh gone to uh, Canada with them to uh, do shows and uh, then I, I had opened for Teddy Pendergrass and went on the road with him for a few months. Okay. So uh, uh, I have been uh, pretty fortunate and then I started doing all kinds of you know, whatever came along. Well, my, my father always says. I think the first thing I did was a background was as a as an extra on what's happening. Okay. Only him Hill yeah. was one of the stand ups at the comedy store at that time, and uh, somehow I got to be an extra on that show, and I learned. From being an extra on that show, that I did not like being an extra. <laughs> 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 there were people 
that had lines and they got to go, you know, they got, you know, good food and stuff. And we got, you know, extra stuff. I didn't want to be extra. Yeah, you got the back of the line. (laughs) So I never signed up for uh, central casting uh, because I didn't want, I learned quick. I didn't want to be no extra. That's that's fantastic. I ain't gonna do this. <laughs> another le- another lesson, kids. <laughs> another if you don't want to do it, don't do it. <laughs> How did well, you wanna- that's another thing that I think young people today, uh, and it's unfortunate. I think they they get a, a bad rap. They get they're getting bad uh, advice. And what I mean is, uh, there's this school of thought that says you have to kiss ass to kick ass. And you have to take whatever you can get until you can get your foot in the door yes. and blah, blah, blah. Yes, yes. I think that's wrong. I just think that's wrong. You have to set standards. And like I told uh, you in the early 70s and stuff, they were doing a lot of black exploitation and they were doing a, a starting to do a lot more sitcoms and stuff with black people. Uh, but for a black actress at that time, you were pretty much limited to roles as either a, a hooker or a maid. Mm-hmm. And I had decided very early on that I would never play a maid or a hooker because okay. if you continue to present that as the only image, you perpetuate those stereotypes. And I didn't want to be part of that. So if it came down to working or not working, if the option was made or not working, I didn't work because I could always do stand up. Yes. Yeah. You always had you always had that that return plane ticket. <laughs> you know. Right. So was, I was I was going to do stand up and stand up I get to do my way. Um so I don't have to be uh, a maid or a hooker. And and a lot of people gave me a lot of grief for that. And to this day, they still do. And I don't care. And I think young people should set those same kind of uh, boundaries for themselves and determine who are you going to be? Who do you want to be? Do you want to be, you know, the reality show kind of personality? Or do you want to be a legitimate actor or actress, you want to be a stand-up, you know, but you have to make those choices and then stick to them because people will always try to get you out of your your own personal comfort zone for their own personal ends. Yeah, gains. Yeah. How did you end up at Night Court, which you end up doing for years? Yeah. The first two bailiffs died. Yeah, I know. The the, the first two died. <laughs> that was I shouldn't laugh, but I mean that's and, just interesting that both of them died of the same thing. And then and, was it an open casting call? At the just... age I am now, I am now the age that Flo and Selma passed. They both passed. Did you? Uh, yeah. Was it an open casting call, or did somebody come looking for you? Well, interestingly, I had worked with Flo on a pilot that didn't get picked up, uh-huh. and I had been uh, talked, and she was she was a hoot. You know, the you know how you describe people as like they're a hoot. She was yeah. actually a hoot. She was yeah. just a sweetheart, and uh, she would laugh at my jokes. You know, and not just laugh; she would just open up a whole face yeah. and go. Ah! 
the best laughs. To be around. Um, and so when she passed away, it was like, oh, that's, you know, there was a personal kind of feel. That was too bad. But I, I never thought it would lead to anything, you know, for me. Uh, but I got uh, called because uh, she passed away right before they were supposed to go back to work on hiatus. So it threw everything, uh, you know, up in the air. And they didn't know what they were going to do, but they needed somebody for the first show. And there was, uh, they were like, well, it could be, you know, something. It might, but we don't know what we're going to do with the role. They were thinking a revolving second bailiff. Yes. Uh, and so I just went in. I was on my way to Seattle to do a show. Uh, and, uh, my agent said, just go in and talk to him. I'm like, I'm not going to get it. I, and I had been on so many auditions and it was always the same 15 actresses, you know, yeah. 20 actresses. And we would, uh, there would, the age range would be like from how old I was in, maybe the 25, 30, whatever, uh, to like 70 all for the same part if they were just always the same the same 12, little core 20, group like, you walk in hey girl hey hey how's your body hey how you doing yeah. <laughs> you know i hope you get it but i don't really anyway yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> i um i went in then i talked to briny the producer and then you know the the regular group of all these people you never remember their names. And I decided I dressed up this time. I wasn't going to I had on sweat and I had a, a little clutch wallet and a pack of cools because I smoked at the time. Yeah. In my hand. And I came in and I sat down and Randy said, How you doing? Good. Give me one of them cigarettes. And so I did. We <laughs> just <laughs> started talking and they explained what was going on and I'm like, yeah, well, I'm about to go to Seattle and he said he was from Chicago and I said, yeah, me too and we talked about that and uh, then I left and I said, well, I had a nice meeting but I don't know if anything's going to come out of it and he said, oh, okay and I got on the plane, went to Seattle, uh, got to the club and they said, call your agent. And I did, and he said, you got the part. And you didn't even read for the part. You just went in and gave him a cigarette and talked about Chicago. <laughs> well, they, I don't think they had a script then. But it just, you know, it had just happened. Yeah. So I found out later that Brian had uh, been aware of, of uh, who I was. Uh, yeah. yeah. You know, uh, I had no clue about any of that at the time. And, uh, and it, in fact, I was only scheduled to do the first show. I didn't do the second show that season uh, and got picked up on the third show. And you end up saying that through the rest of the to the show's end. <laughs> yeah, I got the contract uh, as a regular on the third show. When you started working regularly, did you kind of pull away from stand-up? No, you just, not at all. That's good. That's good. Most of the time I did, uh, uh, when I could, I would do the week at, uh, 
at night court and then fly out of town in the morning or if possible get a red eye and fly out of town do a weekend and fly back Monday morning or Sunday night or Monday morning mm-hmm. be back for a uh, table read okay and that's when you that's when you decided I need to start taking some acting classes or something like that well when I first got the job I was so intimidated uh, because I didn't have the acting chops. And, and this was an established ensemble. You have to uh, remember, they this they were part of must-see TV. They were the anchor show before right, yeah. uh, uh, Hill Street Blues. I mean, this was a uh, pretty powerful uh, uh, into. I mean, it was overwhelming in a way. And so I, I decided I needed to take an acting class. And I I, uh, I found a class. I enrolled and paid the little money and everything and went to the first week and they told me to buy a book. So I went out and bought the book. I opened the book to the first page. It said, the key to acting is to keep it simple. I closed the book. Closed I the never book. went back to the class. <laughs> 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 keep their job. <laughs> so I couldn't figure out why I would have to pay to keep it simple. You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, I know exactly what you mean. That's like when, a, that's like when, a, when comedians say, I'm going to go to a stand-up comedy class, and you get to the class and they tell you, oh, just write. <laughs> just write and get up. Like, okay, I've I guess the class is over. <laughs> doing those classes, but then I, you know, the comedian in me goes, get the heck out of here. <laughs> you know what I mean? To me, the first rule of stand-up is that there are no rules. Rule, yeah. Just get on. I tell young comments that just get on stage and keep getting up, <laughs> keep writing. The audience will tell you if it's funny. <laughs> That's the audience will tell you. Well, I also I often tell them to uh, Phoebe Snow uh, the other day, and I'm thinking about you know she sings she sang wrong, really. Mm-hmm. If if she had gone and taken classes, if they would have told her she was singing wrong, yeah, but she sang perfectly right for her. And and the thing about uh, performing is here again, there are no rules. But either you're going to be a signature singular performer, or you're going to be a run of the mill performer. And Phoebe was a signature performer because she didn't pay attention to rules. She didn't pay attention to what's right and what's wrong. And when you uh, think about anybody who is a singular talent, they don't pay attention to those things, what you're supposed to do if you are going to be successful. Those people are rarely successful. Yeah. The ones who follow the rules. So, uh, yeah. And when I started uh, early on, after I'd been working a couple of years, people started coming to me and talking about this new girl in San Francisco and another black girl, which was supposed to be a threat to me. Because at the time, you know, there was like Shirley Hemphill and me and Shirley had a job. And so there were very few black women uh, working at the time. And so another black girl making uh a name for herself, you should be worried. I'm like, why should I be worried? I don't, you know. So anyway, I never saw her. I was about to say, who I is she? I never got a chance. 
uh, to see her perform. Yeah. And then there's this Whoopi Goldberg. Oh, Whoopi it was Whoopi Goldberg. And I'm like, it was okay. Whoopi, it was Whoopi Goldberg? That's who say, it was? Wow. Huh? It was Whoopi Goldberg? Yeah, they would say, well, she's a lot like you. And I'm like, how is she like me? She's nothing like you. <laughs> they would try to tell me whatever. And I'd be, okay, fine. But I'm going to keep doing my thing. And that's that. So I never got to saw her. Then she had her, her Broadway show, and it was on HBO. And a few months after it had been on and a big success and the whole thing, and people are talking that talk, and ooh, now you ain't going to never get a job. Uh, I finally sat down because remember, we didn't have playback stuff like we, you know, have now. If you missed a show, you missed that show. And it finally came back around on HBO on a night when I wasn't working. I sat down and watched it. I'm like, she's nothing like me. She ain't like you. And then I keep watching her because she's good, but she's nothing like me. And then she took her street character to Anne Frank's house and I went whoa that's fucking genius yeah that's brilliant I don't give a crap what color she is who (laughs) she is I would never in my life write that bit not because it's not good or whatever but because I just you could give me a pen and a pad and a head start and I would never ever come up with that bit that was so freaking genius that I ain't paying attention to the rest of the show. I'm like, that's her. That's you go, girl. That's awesome. That was a, a signet, singular talent. Yeah. That's hers. That's Nobody fun. can take that. And Fontaine. Fontaine. Right. Fontaine went to Anne Frank's house, but my point is, there's no competition because I can't do Whoopi. Right. Hopefully, she can't do me. She, <laughs> so she doesn't do what you do. No, nothing to compete. Right. You know, and uh, and uh, people somehow don't understand that that you you do you because nobody can do you. Well, they see our skin, so you know, only one at a time, and uh, you know that one does this, so you do that too, right? No. <laughs> well, somebody uh, put some of that in perspective, said, yeah, it's hard for black people, it's hard for black comics, for uh, Hispanic performers, whatever, said, but how would you like to be the 99th blonde yeah. chick yeah. Yeah. at the audition? Yeah, yeah. I know. <laughs> I know. I think about that with them, like, you just another average white guy. <laughs> There's 50 of y'all. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, here comes another blonde with big boobs. Yeah, there's 50 of y'all. <laughs> there's only one of me. <laughs> there's 50 of y'all. <laughs> so, how did you know, your t- everybody has their thoughts. How did your talk show happen? And I think that was, you must have been the first black woman to have her own talk show, I would think. No, Oprah was on there. Was Oprah on there at the time? Oprah had been on there. Okay, had any other black Oprah women had a, late, had a late night talk show? Or were you the first one in late My night? show was in the daytime. Was it daytime? Was it yeah. a daytime? Did it? Oh, so was it? It was compete. Uh, who were you up against at that time? And I say up against, but there was a bunch of them. It was like Sally Jesse Raphael, I think, had a show then. Well, then you know, back then everybody had a talk show, right? Yeah, you know, yeah, everybody had a talk show. That guy from. But what uh, happened was, I had started getting uh, uh, having conversations 
for a nighttime talk show. That's why I, I thought it was a nighttime, uh, but yeah. and I was because uh, I really wanted to do a nighttime talk. Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, one of my idols is Della Reese, and Della Reese had a talk she show. Had a nighttime talk show. And in fact, Della Reese was about the uh, was the first black woman to host the Tonight Show. Uh-huh. Uh huh. And. Uh, and uh, I just wanted to do a nighttime talk show, and I wanted to do a show, you know, that featured uh, black artists, you know, rhythm and blues and stuff, and and have a dressing room where people could come and hang out and just sort of make a party. And uh, it was we were in deep talks with that when NBC said they wanted rights of first refusal because I was on Nightclub. Okay. And so once the offer came for the nighttime show, they countered with the day show and I had to go with that. You had to go with the daytime show. How did you, did you, did you, would you prefer, obviously you would have preferred to be in the night, you know, doing yeah. a nighttime show. Did you, um, I don't want to say put your all into it, but did you think that the daytime yeah. show would be a success? I'm sure you put your all into it, but did you think your daytime show? You just, knowing what I know about you watching you on stand-up, you just seem to have the persona of the, like, the night is just a place. You know, it's, it's we're in a club and, and those type of things. Well, I wanted to do, there was a, a talk show in Chicago uh, early on that show, which was basically a roundtable show. Okay where people who were in town would all get together and they'd sit around and they'd talk about their projects and stuff, of course, but they basically would talk about the events of the day. Mm -hmm. And uh, you got to see celebrities, quote-unquote celebrities, uh, in a different way, not just talking about themselves, but about stuff. And I wanted to do that kind of show, but incorporate the audience to make it kind of a seamlessly diverse young people, old people, black people, white people, Hispanic people, Asian, disabled people, gay, straight, mm -hmm. whatever, in the audience. Uh, and we would talk about topics, pretty much what I do on Facebook. Never didn't really get that vision. They okay. didn't really understand that. But okay. so I got to do kind of that, but they really wanted me to be uh, a cross between Oprah and Rachel Ray, you know, the, where I would have a guest on and we would talk about, uh, you know, their latest book and then we'd make eggs. Yeah, that ain't, <laughs> yeah, that ain't you. <laughs> I mean, you don't make no eggs. Yeah, yeah I know. That, that ain't you. That ain't you. Right. I noticed. So that's what happened with that. I noticed around 1999, I was looking at your wiki, which is not that hella reliable. Around 1999, like TV appearances kind of taper off at that point. And where did you just step away from the game? Because I really became aware of you once again, like I said, through social media. And I was like, yeah, I didn't, Marshall I, Redfield. I, 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 I didn't work for uh, over 15 years. And depending nope. on where you come from, uh, it was closer to 20. You know, what was, I mean, was that? Was that by your choice or was that by industry choice? It wasn't an industry choice. It was uh, it was personal, okay. you know. Uh, it was a. Uh, I, I say in my act that I, uh, I about nineteen ninety six or so, I started to crash and burn. Okay. And my uh, 
1980s sinus condition caught up with me. There you go. Uh, okay. That was part of it. And then just family life things happened and I didn't work until uh, about three years ago when I just had to give it another shot. Okay. So you just kind of use that time to recharge and pull yourself and, and just pull it all back together? Um, like I said, there were, there right. were right. circumstances mm-hmm. that made it so that I couldn't, okay. uh, and then, uh, after a while, like I said, I had, and I never felt like I didn't really want to, even though I tried to talk myself into that, mm-hmm. uh, that it was over, but, uh. I decided I would. I wanted to get back on stage again, and it, it was, you know, starting over again. It wasn't. You, you don't pick up where you left off. You right. start over again. And right. I, I had to start all over from scratch. Right. Right. Um, oh, the question just jumped right out of my head. Oh, I know what I wanted to talk about. Uh, at some point, you had you. I guess came out of the closet. I guess. Yes. What year was that when you when you came out? Same time I started doing stand up, pretty much. Maybe so was that, Wow, was that that all those years ago? Then when you started doing stand up? No, stand up again. Oh, I'm sorry, stand up again. Okay, okay. So you? It was, no, I I came out as a uh, not the, and I came out on Facebook. Okay. Yeah, I I remember oh, yeah. I remember that, but that was the actual coming out point. Did everybody in your life already know? Or had you been yeah. holding it back? I like to tell people that from my experience and with people in my age group and older mm-hmm. uh, who did come out, because a lot of people still aren't out and a lot of people never came out. Right. They passed away without ever coming out publicly. But in my age group, uh, people came out in stages. Mm-hmm. You know, you come out, first you come out to yourself. Yes. Because you don't always know. You just know you're different, and things that are supposed to make sense don't make sense to you. When was that for uh, you? When was it coming out for yourself for you? I was in my 20s. Okay. All right. Pretty early. Uh, well, I shouldn't but, say pretty early. I don't know what's early or what's late. Just that was the time for you. But it was obvious once you really, once you accepted it, it was like stand-up. You asked me what was it like doing it. The first night I did stand-up, I felt like I had been called uh, mm-hmm. to the ministry. Or, you know, that right. I just, it was a calling. It was not uh, just, oh, that's pleasant. This was like the world opened up for me in a way I had never, ever envisioned. Uh, so when you have that kind of epiphany, you know, and realize, oh, now it all makes sense, you know, once you realize, I gave, now this, everything makes sense. Okay. Then I could look back on my whole life and see that from birth, this was obvious, and you people were lying to me and to yourselves if you thought that I was ever going to be a maker. You know what I mean? It's just, you. Why did we have this? Okay. Uh, it's been a lot easier. You just helped me. Uh, 
exactly why I was doing the things and feeling the things I was feeling. Because being gay is not just a sexual thing. Mm -hmm. You are gay or or straight or whatever you are long before you really understand the mechanics of sexuality. Right, right, right. Uh, so that took a while and then came out to family and friends, you know. So if you knew me, you knew. Uh, but even coworkers and stuff who I never hid my partners from, you know, I also, it was a don't ask, don't tell existence. Okay. And I think a lot of people are still living a don't ask, don't tell existence. That's such a, that's such a sad, especially, that's such a sad thing. That's not fair. <laughs> especially in the black community. Yeah. In fact, people love, you know, that's the first thing. Well, why you have to tell people, you don't just do you, why you have to tell them, blah, 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 blah. You know, why is it a thing if I do tell you? Mm -hmm. So uh, then after I put it out there, you know, tepidly uh, in public and the world didn't crash, Kim Whitley, who I'd known for years, uh, was doing a a show where she wanted to have people who, uh, women who had influenced her, uh, all get together on this show. Mm-hmm. And she asked me if I would do it. And I, like I said, hadn't been doing much of anything. I had just started coming back and, you know, dipping my toe in the water, doing guest spots on on different shows. Uh, and so I said, yeah, if you sure, you know, yeah, cool. And she said she wanted to do a 40s theme. And I said, you know, that's cool, but I'm not wearing no dress. <laughs> <laughs> So if we're going to do this, then you have to dress me like it's a 1940s thing, gay wedding, and I'm the groom. <laughs> and they did. And I, I posted the pictures on Facebook. You know, me and Jane Kennedy was another woman on the show who I totally fangirled over. Yeah. Uh, but uh, their picture, they put me in a white, uh, you know, pinstripe tuxedo and a hat and the whole thing really really did it up and that was the first time I was out in public on out in public yes now I was 62 years old 62 years old how did that feel to be out just out like that at first it was it was uh, it felt like going on stage for the first time right yeah you know you're nervous you want to do it you your plans you You've done as much prep as you can, but you still don't know what the heck. Oh, it was, uh, you know, nerve wracking, but it turned out fine, you know. And uh, when I did the LOL Awards last year and they said it was black tie and here again, what do I wear? So I wore a tuxedo. Well, tuxedo with a a hat, right? You'd be rocking them hats. (laughs) Yeah. And they gave me the award, and I went up and I said, you know, I thought about uh, what I was going to wear, because you know, uh, you know, y'all got opinion, and <laughs> you will, you will uh, uh, voice them. I said, but then I decided, fuck y'all, this is my life, and <laughs> people cheered, you know, and. Uh, for black performers or black people who are afraid of of uh, 
the opinions of other black people, which we often are, I, I would say go for it because this was a room full of black people, period. There were no white people. Mm-hmm. And when I said that, the acceptance was far more overwhelming than any fear. Right. Do you feel the the vindication, the vindication from that? Like, I can stand here and be myself. And... Well, it wasn't so much vindication. It was just because uh, I, I didn't feel like I was in, uh, you know, uh, I was in a battle or anything. But I was just, you know, we, we, we are all uh, we all want to be accepted for who we are. Mm-hmm. And uh, so when when everybody went, yeah. You know, go girl. <laughs> then it just, <laughs> That's uh, great. It just felt like, uh, like I guess it would be to come out the family and have them go, girl, that ain't nothing. Come on, give me a hug. There you go. <laughs> so, uh, that was, that was, uh, well, did, did that kind of well, draw, no. did that, you coming out into that, did that draw you into um, your social presence, the work you're trying to do societal? Because I see your engagements, and I engage with you also, and I like to come in. Everything from political to social, uh, child beating, uh, the N-word and culture, Bill Cosby. Did all of that kind of come from what you were going through as far as coming out and feeling like, I want to I wanna speak these things to help advance things forward? Not really. As what you see on Facebook is uh, the sum total of me and how I see things. Okay. You know what I mean? So it's not just uh, uh, black-driven, gay-driven, female-driven, whatever. I am all of those. Mm-hmm. And they have concerns and, and opinions about all of those things. And so... Uh, I'm not uh, trying to focus anything on any one particular area. No, no, no. That no. That's you know that's I mean? exactly what I mean. Like you're you cover everything, but I would say it was societal, like hitting every aspect of society. And uh, does that come from the you being gained and, and um, using that as a springboard? Let's say. I think being. Uh, Thrice marginalized. Yes. As black. Black, female, and gay. Gay and female. Uh-huh. Uh, gives you a, a unique perspective. Mm-hmm. Uh, at least it does me. And, you know, going back to what I said earlier, all I'm trying to do is me. So, however that, whatever image that makes, that's the image I am. I'm not trying to fit an image, you know, and adapt myself into it, mm-hmm. uh, which is what I see sometimes people do. They create a persona and then fit themselves into it, and they're nothing like that person. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would hopefully, knock wood, like to be a seamless uh, on stage, on uh, in movies, TV, whatever, as I am in person, I am the same person, hopefully, when you see me on stage and off. Or when you see the Facebook or income see my stand-up show. 
I don't think you'll see anything in in my stand up show that would shock you if you follow me on Facebook. Mm. That's that's exactly how I feel when people follow my Facebook. I'm like, well, that's pretty much me. So what you see there is what you're going to see. Things I talk about on stage. I really appreciated um, what you wrote about Bill Cosby. I reposted it myself. I told people that they needed to that they needed to read it. Um, how did you feel through the end of all of that? Uh, the personalization of it. Well, you know, it was not easy I know. to write. I know. It was also not easy not to write it. I know. For so long. Yeah. Uh, but the man had his day in court. Mm-hmm. Nothing I said was going to affect his day in court. Mm-hmm. So that's why I, I voted mm-hmm. when I voted. Uh, he had been judged by you know, the court system. Mm-hmm. I was, you know, in my second, third hand, information impressions was not going to have anything, any effect on that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but like I wrote, you know, Cosby was a hero. I mean, let's face it, there was a time when OJ was a hero. These men were heroes. That's true. And, uh, uh, Writing it and and, and uh, having opinions that knocks them off that pedestal is not easy. And when when the news first broke about Cosby, uh, like I told people, I said, you know, it's like having your uh, having dinner, and and having the police bust in the door and arrest your dad, mm-hmm. and then tell you some uh, child abuse or something, and you're like, what? You just can't wrap your brain around that. He's dead. He didn't do that. But then as the evidence comes in, then it's more and more like he really did that. Yes. Uh, so uh, the country had to go through that whole process of watching their dad get arrested at dinner. That being said, that's not to say that, you know, I mean, just about everybody high profile who is, uh, later been convicted or something, and didn't know what the heck was going on. Mm-hmm. So uh, it, it, we all had to come to grips with that. But and knowing what I knew made it hard to be impartial. Right. Well, you had no reason to be impartial. You you knew. So, yeah. I mean, you know, but still, I don't want to poison the jury pool. You know what right. I mean? Yeah, I know, I know. I don't want to sit in judgment and be the judge, jury, executioner. I don't want that. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, so it was hard to not say that. But then watching the reaction and watching black people in mourning and in denial mm-hmm. and uh, and making just ridiculous excuses and, and things uh, and Finally, I just said, I'm going to write it and then see. And I wrote it and kind of skimmed over it and then took a deep breath and pushed them. Yes. And <laughs> yes. when I opened it up and looked at what it. What happened, happened. Yeah, I opened it up and looked at it. And I remember thinking, well, I appreciate this. I appreciate the idea, just the pure honesty of it. And uh, that you had the courage to write it. I was like, yeah. I, you know. And... I, and uh, 
Well, I, you know, Hannibal Burris had more courage than me. Hannibal, Hannibal had a lot more courage than all of us. Because I don't know if I would have said that on stage. <laughs> I don't know. I, I don't know if I would have if I would have just said that out into the audience about at at that one time America's dad at one time. I don't know if I would have been able to do that. Somebody who made it okay for people to vote for Barack Obama. I don't know if I would have been able to to say that on a stage. Just the way he said it, and then stand with it. <laughs> I don't know. I'd like to believe. Yeah, I, I'd so. like to be it. I'd like to believe I'd be able to. <laughs> you know, but I don't. I don't know. No, I think he he had a lot more courage, and he took a lot more slack, and he he uh, stood up and prevailed. And and to me, that's you know what it's all about. It's not about agreeing or disagreeing with. Yeah. You know, if you if you have a, a stand to make. You know, my mother always said, if uh, if you're bold enough to do a thing, be woman enough to stand up and admit it. Mm-hmm. So uh, I try to be that woman to, you know, back up my positions, to uh, lead with truth and let the chips fall where they may. Well, you definitely did that. So you, you, uh, you are doing stand-up again. You have regular dates. That are coming through, or are you just doing? Well, right now I'm at the uh, I'm at the uh, LA Comedy Club here in Vegas at the Stratosphere mm-hmm. on Wednesday and Thursday nights, and it's allowed me to uh, build uh, the concert level act. How much time uh, do you think you got now? If I could do. Hour and a half easy. They keep telling me to cut my time, you know. You got a full hour and a half. You got a full show then. You now. I would, uh, I would, I could see doing a two hour one woman stand up show, you know, where we do uh, the first hour, take a little break, and come back and do another hour. Do you have design? Uh, Do you have designs on putting a show like that out and taking it, taking it somewhere, or just putting it in a Putting it in a theater, I'm saying putting it in the universe as we speak. I'm <laughs> there we it go. The there we go. There we go. <laughs> and hoping that uh, that somebody bites okay. and takes the bait. Well, if you bring it, if you bring it anywhere near me, I definitely want to come open for you. I can tell you that. <laughs> well, there's a lot. You know, it's uh, it's stand. It's not just stand up. You know, it's mm-hmm. about. Uh, like I was saying earlier, I've lived through a lot of uh, events. Yes. yes. Uh, seen a lot of things. And so uh, it, and we talk about growing up with the civil rights movement. We talk about, uh, can I start the show some nights? And I want to start my show talking about slavery. Mm-hmm. And we go from there. Mm-hmm. And so we hit all of those uh, topics you were talking about, the, gay, black, female, liberal, agnetheus person that I am. I think that's a great thing to talk about, and I definitely want to see it, and I definitely want to hear more of it. And I want to hear more of it. As long as you want to say it, I want to hear it. As long as you write it, I want to read it. So, Well, I'm trying to get it to you, boo. <laughs> but I want I want to get it to you. Then I want to get it to you right. You know. Yes. Yes. Well, Miss Marsha, I want to thank you uh, 
so much for doing this for me. I, I so greatly, greatly appreciate it. And you, um, this, you were exactly what I thought you would be. You're exactly like your Facebook page. You're exactly like your social media. And yeah, maybe that that'll be the name of uh, of the tour. If I once I get a uh, mounted, we we'll just call it seamless. There you go. You are seamless. <laughs> you flow seamlessly. You flow seamlessly. You flow so seamlessly. Well, thank you so much. And I will be telling everybody to stay in touch with you. And I greatly, greatly appreciate you. Do you have anything you want to say to our listeners? Well, hello, listeners. How you doing? <laughs> Just uh, take what you need out of anything I got and, and leave the rest for somebody else. There we go. I think that's perfect. I think that's perfect. Thank you. Thank you so much, Miss Martha. I so Miss Marsha. Did I call you Martha? Did I just call you Martha? I didn't do that. That happens more often than you know. I didn't do that. <laughs> Thank you so much, Miss Marsha. And I will uh hit you back when we post this. And I so greatly appreciate you so greatly appreciate you for doing this to me for me, ma'am. I really, really well, thank you for having me and all the best and good luck to me wonderful things for you. Well, if I can get it it just close to what you had, I'll be more than happy. (laughs) More than happy. Don't settle for that. Keep going. (laughs) Thanks so much, ma'am. All right. Take care. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.